0: Welcome to the Decide Your Legacy podcast. This is episode number 16. We all have transitions in life, and they're difficult. We have the expected and the plan, like the birth of a new child, a marriage, a new job, relocation, graduation. Even changing a career can be exciting. Then we have the unexpected, like divorce, job loss, illness, death of someone close to us, money problems. Today, we're gonna talk about episode 16 of the Decide Your Legacy podcast, how to successfully navigate life transitions, major life transitions. I'm Adam Gregg, I'm your host, and I am a family therapist, been in the mental health profession for over 20 years, I'm a life coach. My passion, my goal is to help people find clarity and to make change, Transformational clarity. I'm going to give you information today, but I'm about transformation. So as you listen, things that you pick up on, my hope is that it inspires you to make a change. And that clarity that you have will help you to face fears, things that are holding you back, help you move forward. As I talk, I like to talk about things as if. You know, basic, basic stuff that you could talk to your six-year-old about and they would actually understand. So I don't like to get too complex and complicated. I probably do that, but my goal is to be simple. Stuff you can apply right away. And I like to talk about and discuss topics that I need help with myself. This topic's really important. We all have things that happen in our lives that we don't expect. It's kind of like stress and problems and challenges are the great equalizer. We all have them. We're going to have them. It's okay, but we can do some things to prepare. We can successfully navigate these things. Lots of times in transitions, people use unhealthy coping mechanisms. They turn to alcohol and addiction and relationships. Unhealthy relationships, they turn to even just fixation and worry and isolation because they're ashamed and embarrassed. And I've been there. I've had positive transitions in my life, like starting a business, becoming a dad, getting married. And I've had very difficult transitions in my life, like an unexpected unemployment and having problems with finances and even growing up and having to deal with addiction and trauma in my life that I never thought I'd go through as a young man. Those are transitions as well because we have to adjust. We have to start over. We have to find a new way after that situation. And we can do this, do the right thing successfully, navigate these things, or we can make some big mistakes. And those big mistakes I want to talk to you about today help you avoid those big mistakes. So, And I've talked to you a little bit about one transition, one stressful thing I had in my life was actually when I was in seventh grade and I was being bullied and I hid it from my parents. They, The bullies were brutal. It was a bad deal. They did all kinds of crazy stuff. And for three months, I didn't say a word about the whole thing. I eventually talked about it. And I got some really great advice. I mean, my family, my dad mainly in that situation said, Adam, you're not alone. Come on. You got your family. You have people that love you. And that was a big deal to me because it was, I could handle it now because I knew they were going to be there. They said He said, you got to change your perspective about this situation. You can handle this. You can believe in yourself. And the third thing was, he said, you got to take care of yourself. And he encouraged me to go and stand up for myself, which I actually did. And I've spoken about this before, but I ended up actually punching the guy and breaking my hand on his face in dealing with the situation. And the reason I share this is not to encourage violence in any way, but is to help you see that there are things that we can do to actually handle the things that are challenging in our lives and help us deal with them successfully. And there are things that we can do that we might be doing that are actually causing some big problems. When we have Stressful situations, you can call it a trigger. Something triggers you, whatever it is. And these life transitions are major triggers. Like they are really triggering you. And so when you think of a trigger or a stimulus or whatever, I want you right now to reflect on how do you know that you're triggered? Do you shut down? Do you want to isolate? Do you want to fight? Do you want to run? Do you want to? cope in a bad way? Do you fixate? Do you worry? Do you ruminate? You consistently think about it again and again and again. What do you actually do when you know you're in a bad spot? Does your heart pound and race? Do you, can you, can you tell, do you get headaches? Do you get tension in your shoulder? Noticing that can be very helpful because then the goal is, is as you successfully navigate things, we're going to add some space between that moment of being triggered to actually what we do. So we're gonna make a choice rather than react. If we just react, we're just going and we get angry, we get tense and we just blurt out something. We just say, we don't even actually have any kind of space. When we have space, then we can make a decision and make the best decision possible. And we can do that only when we apply the tools that I'm going to talk to you about today. But I'm going to help you to get some space because when we are stressed, basically we get tunnel vision. So if you're looking right now at me on video or if you're listening to this, I want you to put your hands in front of your face with your fingers open. And I want you to look through your fingers. And then I want you slowly to lower, look through your fingers, look around your room, slowly lower your hands. That's, that's an illustration of how to get space your hand represent that trigger in your life that transition in your life that thing you can fixate we want you to get space so you can make appropriate decisions so if it's a job transition you're getting some space so you can make the right decisions if it's a relationship transition you're getting some space you're not coping at, by default you're coping through intentionality you're making a decision this tunnel vision as well is going to make sense because you know when we feel like we're in danger and we do that in transitions, we fixate. We only see that thing that is actually the problem. And when we only see the problem, then all of a sudden we are not seeing life. We're not able to problem solve. We're not able to relate. We're stuck. We're stuck. We can't, and our cortisol level rises, but we want to learn how to decrease that. There's a whole field called The Psychology of Thriving or Positive Psychology. And so that whole, it really changed my life because what we had done for so long is study what makes people sick mentally. And we know that rigidity and inflexibility, but now in this whole field, we were studying what, why do some people really thrive? Why do some people do really well? And, and that's the three tools that I'm gonna to talk to you about today. And there's a lot of stress out there right now. And by some statistics, nearly 20% of adults experience mental illness. And 20% of those that experience mental illness also have a substance use disorder. And about 40% get help. And from most estimates, it takes about 10 years to actually get help. The first tool you want to apply if you're going to successfully navigate transitions is don't go it alone. I know I talk about this over and over again. We need, our brains need oxygen, glucose, and healthy relationships. We're not fueled for achievement, we're actually fueled for connection. We're fueled by connection, by love. We need that. And I I list this as the first thing, the first tool, because it actually is the most important one, in my opinion. The first thing you have to do is learn how to open up and learn how to reach out and not isolate. When we do seek help, when we do reach out, recovery goes way, recovery rates go way, way up. And that is why we have these groups of support that are associated with specific transitions, like the divorce care group, which you can find those wherever you're listening, most likely in your city. We have other divorce recovery groups. We have groups for new moms. We have groups for new dads. We have alcoholic and drug addiction recovery groups. We have groups for weight loss. We have all these things and we don't have them just randomly. We actually have them because they work. Because if you're gonna make it through these very tough seasons of life, you need support. And it can't just be going to the group. You have to learn how to open up. You have to learn how to be vulnerable. So I have a buddy, actually I have multiple buddies, that have, some of which I've been meeting with for over a decade. And we actually have met at, at, at 5.30 a.m., although I'm usually late, for coffee um, at Wednesday mornings. And we've, we've literally, for some of these guys, it's been literally over a decade. And when we go, sometimes we just kind of talk and it can be fairly just about business and our kids and not too deep. But there are moments where people are vulnerable and they really open up. And those are the moments of transformation because it's not just about attendance. It's actually learning to open up and express what is really going on. And that's scary and that's hard. And that's a big deal. And but it will decrease your stress. It will make a difference in your life if you do it. And I'll tell you, it's scary um, to be vulnerable. It actually means you can think of. Um, it means you're, you know, you're sharing a problem. It means you're asking for help. It means you're um, offering help. You're volunteering. You're doing something that could lead you potentially to being rejected. Something that could potentially lead you to being hurt. I mean, because you're putting your heart out there. Someone could shun you. Someone could use it against you. Someone could make fun of you. But that's the vulnerability I'm talking about. I know a lot of you listening are really brave people. You probably go and some of you are pilots and skydivers and you do risky things with who knows your career and investing money and all these things, but this is a different level of vulnerability. The scariest thing you can ever do in life is actually put your heart out there and share and open up. I mean, sharing an emotion, telling somebody you love them and you care about them and you're committed to them and you want to be like a friend. I mean, this is a plutonic kind of thing, but really expressing concern. Those are all risky things. You know, I, I did my first uh, tandem skydive a year ago and That was scary for me. I actually really enjoyed it. But this is a much braver thing, opening up to people. And even right now, think about, for you, who are these people in your life that you can open up to? There's a study that I've shared before as well about where they take a monkey and they put a monkey in a cage and they shock, they terrify the monkey. And then they measure the level of cortisol in the monkey which is a stress hormone that increases when we're basically under a great deal of stress. And of course, the monkey is really stressed out. Cortisol level's high. They take one, change one aspect of the experiment, they put the monkey's buddy in the cage with him or her and they reproduce the experiment fire, loud noises, gongs. And the cortisol level, that stress hormone level has dropped at least in half by having your buddy in the cage with you. Do not go it alone. Find some ways not to go it alone. And just wherever you are right now, I want you to think of two people in your life that you could reach out to more that can be a monkey, that can help you through a transition in your life, that you could reach out to more, not your family, not people that you're related to, not your spouse, not your brother, not your mom. Just two people you could reach out to more. And then I want you to write down or somewhere, just think about what are two groups you could reach out to more. You know, could you get involved in some kind of group at church? Could you get involved in some sort of volunteer opportunity or organization? Could you reach out and help other people in a new way? What could you do? I want you to tuck that away. Those things will change your life. Those things will help you to get through the situation that you're going through. And healthy connections as well they have about 5 to 1 positive interactions to negative much higher ratio of positive interactions to negative so that's one way to to adjust and to know is this a healthy thing for me you know and they listen people really listen in healthy interactions. They ask questions, they get information, they engage. It's not all monologue, it's dialogue as well. That's how you know you have a healthy connection as well. I give every client I ever actually visit with this bookmark. At least I think I do. I may forget every once in a while. It says speaker on one side, it says listener on the other side. And the main reason I give this to people is as a reminder that it does. you have to stay in your lane if you're going to have a healthy interaction and you can only be the speaker or the listener at one time. And there's some tips on how to be a good listener. You know, you paraphrase and summarize. You name the other person's emotion. You ask questions to get further, deeper meaning in the conversation. And if you're the speaker, you speak in I statements. You share how you feel. You don't share globally. You try to stay on topic. You try to actually elaborate and give examples. And those things can be very helpful. The second thing that people do who cope very well with life transitions is they work on their perspective. They make their perspective healthy. And that may sound crazy. And some of I know I get this all the time. My perspective is my perspective. It's just the way I think I can't change it. Well, that's really not true. And we know because of brain scans and imaging and very sophisticated tools that we have now that we didn't have 30 years ago, we know that people can actually rise above And they can analyze, think about their thinking, basically, and they can change it through practice. And it's hard work. It's really hard work. I mean, it takes that effort every day to have this level of gratitude and perspective. And for me, it's a spiritual thing. It's something I have to remember that God's in control. That's a perspective shift for me. God's in control. I don't have to control everything. It's going to work out. Something good's going to come out of this. In those bad, bad situations that I've had in my life, that's one of the things that helps me to get through. It's like I can let go. I don't have to control it. There's a bigger picture here. Something good is going to come out of this. Neuroplasticity. Is something I've talked about before. That is a term that is basically you can change the habits that you form in thinking. A neuro, a neuro pathway is a is a thinking pattern. It's a habit that you have formed. And if you listen to my last podcast, I talked about this because it was okay. We form we fixate on something negativity, and then we form paths like a path in our backyard that we walk on on the grass to our shed. We pound down the grass. Eventually, eventually, it's so pound down that we put stones there and we may even cement it but what if that path is heading in the wrong direction we realize that that shed is flooding wherever it is and we move it to another location well then we got to pull up the stones it's hard work but you can do it and we create a new path that's neuroplasticity we have about 90 90 percent of our thoughts are going to be the same today as they were yesterday in style and content positive negative neutral as they were yesterday unless we realize that we have some power to actually rise above them and change them what we focus on the most, we amplify. You feel the way you think and you, and, you will, and, you, and you will act based on how you feel. It creates a cycle. We have to be careful with it. If someone is consistently anxious, they're gonna be most likely thinking consistently anxious, fearful thoughts. Someone is consistently hopeful, they are most likely thinking consistently hopeful thoughts. Famous study. I'll show you we can believe lies as easily as we can believe things that are true. And I've shared this before is that there's a study that was done that they 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 did research on all the trick or treaters in the US since the 50s to today. And because a lot of kids like me in my age bracket, I'm in my 40s, we grew up with parents saying beware of these bad people that poison kids at Halloween. And they did the research meaning all these the psychology department at Stanford and they basically found that there's never been a poisoning, actually. There have been some poisonings from family and some really wicked kind of situations around Halloween and everything, but never actually from a stranger trick-or-treating on any record that they have. Um, and, but we can believe this stuff. Emotional reasoning means we believe basically that because we feel a certain way, it must be true. So because I feel like people are judging me, they must actually be judging me. Because I feel like it's gonna go bad, it's gonna go bad. That's emotional reasoning. Not true, not true. And really what we do is we, we think about things, people that have perspective, skewed perspective, they think about things using what I call the three Ps. And I actually learned this from, from Dr. Henry Cloud, who somebody I find very helpful. But the first P is that we view the situation as personal. So I lost my job once. I was unemployed for seven months. And personalizing it was an easy thing for me to do. Like, I'm a failure. How could I do this? Second P is that it's pervasive. So it's not isolated into just one part of your life. Like, for me, it was my job. I let it pervade to, you know, I'm not a good dad. I'm not a good friend. I'm financially, I'm, I suck. You know, all this kind of stuff. And then we start, and this is the last thing, the third P We start to view it as being permanent. It's never going to change. I'm always going to be this way. Nothing's going to change here. Three questions that I would encourage you to ask yourself. There's lots of questions that can help you with perspective. But if you can think about something right now that you're fairly stressed about... Maybe something at work with one of your kids, with money. Maybe it's something positive. You know, you've got a presentation, you're getting a promotion, whatever it might be. Well, think about that thing, that stressor. So it's starting to consume some energy. It could be positive again. And then answer these questions. First question is, is it true? Is it true? You know, some variants of that is like, what evidence do I have that this is true? What evidence do I have that it's false? But is it really true? And if you say, yes, it's true, then ask yourself, well, is it absolutely 100% true? And that may challenge you. Second question is, how does it impact me to think this? How does it impact me? Does it make your heart race? Are you noticing that it's eliminating that space? Does it make you sweat? Do you lose sleep? How does it impact me to believe it's true? And the third question is, what's a healthier, better perspective? What's a better perspective about this situation? And that better perspective is like a breath of fresh air. It's like, oh my gosh. I can handle this. You know, God is in control. The worst thing that happens is I I lose the client and I can handle that. And that could be a better perspective. Better perspective could be, you can do this. You're just being negative. Come on, you can do this. could be something that simple that's a breath of fresh air. I can handle this situation right now. I like to... To help me with my perspective, I like to collect things that remind me of having a healthier perspective. And so that's why I collect seven up bottles on a scale one to 10, it's okay to be a seven. That's why I also have a thing for rhinoceroses, believe it or not, because they remind me of having thick skin, just not taking it personally. They help me with perspective. Goals help me with perspective. I did a podcast, number 15 was on goal setting. Goals help me with, with, with perspective as well. They give me something to focus on that's not this fear as well. Having a purpose in my life gives me perspective. I recently started volunteering at my church, and I've been thinking about volunteering for my daughter's youth group, which I was actually in youth ministry for about a decade, and at least a former youth ministry, and so it was really moving to actually go in and check it out. And I thought at first, I just because I had some challenging experiences um, back when I kind of moved in a different direction with that, I thought maybe it would be triggering, but it was really positive. And it helped me to think about something I could focus on, you know, giving back, because that was such an impactful time in my life back then as well, um, and in a volunteer sense. I wouldn't give back as a profession, but at least I don't think. But anyway, so you can work on it. If The best tool that I've ever found is for, for me that I can do consistently, and there are, there are, this is not necessarily the best tool for you, but it's the daily five and five. It's where every day you write down in the morning five things that happened yesterday that were positive in your life. You know, what happened that was encouraging, that was inspiring, that, um, and it could be something very small. It could be that you had a Dr. Pepper and you haven't had one in a while, or that your football team won, or that you got to talk to a friend on the phone, or it could be something that didn't happen that you thought was going to, you know, like you thought that you were going to actually be stressed about Monday and it was a Sunday and you really got through it and you weren't really stressed. It doesn't matter what it is for you, but you get in the habit of actually writing it down so you can see it. And it's crystal clear. And then you could even share some of those things with people, your monkeys, the people you love as well. They're not going to dislike you for sharing those. In fact, it'll be inspiring and encouraging to them. And, you know, you can – then you write down five things you're excited about, five things you're excited about happening over the next day. And then you can – Yeah, and you start if you don't have those things, and you plan them into your life. You look at your schedule and say, "I got to plan some exciting things in that I can anticipate." Anticipation is extremely healthy. Something I wanted to add in here with with all of these tools is to think about you. You are going to have people in your life who you recognize that they're going through a life transition and they're really struggling. And how can I help them? How can I help them? And so that first tool that I went over, you know, it is, is about connection. You know, you need connection. Don't go it alone. And the second tool that I went over is about, is about perspective. You need a healthy perspective. You can help your friends that are struggling by connecting with them, by reaching out to them, by listening to them, by really taking the time to listen. Ask them, invite them somewhere. Invite them for coffee. Invite them to your to your small group, invite them to your church, invite them to your golf club, Um, invite them out somewhere and, and then really listen. And that's starting the connection. If you know they're struggling with perspective and they're negative, you can challenge them to do the five and five. You can talk to them about gratitude. Simply asking them, you know, what's going well in your life right now? What's going well? You can ask them those three questions that I shared. And actually challenge them and say, hey, yeah, I got an idea. You know, this thing I know you're worried about. What's a better perspective? Oh, there is no better perspective. Well, hey, let's just can I can we just think what might somebody who isn't struggling as much, how might they actually view this situation? It's a way you can help them as well. That third tool, and this one's probably the toughest one for me personally, but it's to be your own best friend. It's to take care of yourself. That's it. I told you, it's not it's not crazy stuff, but it's to be your own best friend. Now, I I'd hate to talk about this, but I have before and, and, and on other podcasts, but suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S. Every year, there's over 40, pretty much over 40, last few years, at least over 40,000 completed suicides the data is going to be grim for this year because there's a lot of isolation and there are a lot of people not engaging community. There are a lot of people who are stuck in their heads and they're, and they're in a negative spot. And because of just the situation that we're in and I'm not, I'm, I, there are a lot of people doing well and reaching out and building community despite the situation. in. I'm talking about the pandemic that we're in right now. We're talking, I'm talking right here in 2020. Um, the, the suicide rates, though, since 2001 have increased by 30%, by over 30% since 2001. And people beat themselves up. They don't take care of themselves because, for one, they believe a big lie, that their value comes from their performance and the opinions of others. Their value comes from their performance and the opinions of others. They start getting their value extrinsically from their job, from what pe- how people view them, from their money, from their popularity, from their image, from how they look, from their standard of living, from their health, from who they know, when true self-worth and the healthy kind of self-worth, being your own best friend, knowing you're committed, is is very different than that. It's going to be intrinsic. I have a Gordon Setter. It's a dog. He's like an Irish Setter. His name's Max. He's actually goes uh, with me pretty much everywhere I go. In fact, um. I believe, yeah, pretty much. It's not too hot outside. He, he kind of my travel partner. And, and his level of loyalty is pretty cool. Um, I've had some excellent dogs in my life. I had a, a lab pointer mix named Berkeley who died in 2015 and of kidney failure. And she was my running partner and my friend as well. And it was really tough. And those dog is man's best friend thing, I mean, I resonate with that because of the loyalty and commitment that they have and they're always there and and no matter what you do you know I mean they come back and of course you know be good to them but our friends are honest with us and they're committed to us we gotta be honest and committed to ourselves we gotta be honest and committed to ourselves how do we do that well for one I would challenge you to do this right now is, is what are your positive traits stop beating yourself up and start like I said with the daily five and five write down somewhere that these are the things i really do like about myself and they're going to be intrinsic not extrinsic they're going to be internal not external there are things that you can use to give back to other people are you encouraging are you positive are you passionate are you fun are you faithful are you loyal you know what are those things that you love about yourself and then think also about ways you can apply that more how can you give back more how can you love more self care you're going to be giving yourself away, but those things that you love about yourself will help you to take care of yourself because you'll tell yourself and start telling yourself, I'm worth it. I'm worth it. You know, I have these qualities and this is the way I'm made and I'm not perfect, but I'm good enough. But I'm good enough, and I'm going to, despite what everyone else thinks and despite the struggles that I have, I'm good enough, you know? And, you know, for me, it's like, okay, you know, God made me. He didn't make a mistake. I know I've been through some struggles, but he's not going to abandon me. He's there. I can get through this. And I have friends that I feel the same way about. They're not going to, they're going to stick with me. They're like my dog, Max. They're going to stick with me. And I have family that are like that, too. And those things matter the most right there those things matter the most because they're, they're there. And there's a level of commitment there. And think about it too, is, is uh, one, one way in a tool, one self-care strategy that I like for all my clients to learn is to get in touch with their emotions. And the reason I put this in the self-care category is because you'll start to know what you need when you identify how you feel. So I give people tools like a a wheel of emotions where they can just point and they're in six different categories and they can identify how they feel at any time of the day and then what that tells them about themselves. So I'm trying to increase their emotional intelligence because if they can do that, then they will know what to eliminate in their life and then what to actually engage in their life. Because emotions, they're more than just a tool, they're a compass. I give people a bookmark as well that describes this. It's, A way to identify your emotions, um, positive emotions on one side, negative emotions on the other side. And then it challenges them to actually identify how they feel at different times of the day, why they feel that way, and then what that's telling them about themselves. So if they identify that they feel energized, why and what could that be telling them about themselves? It could be that they need more of that or they need to eliminate something in their life that was de-energizing them or was toxic in their life and so those emotions help you to prioritize yourself if you identify them you see a person that's emotionally intelligent well they're they're good at identifying emotions in themselves they're good at identifying emotions in others they're good at expressing their emotions appropriately So sharing them with someone, they're also good at experiencing a wide range of emotions, not just a few emotions, and you can work on this. They're good at expressing them, meaning that they can express them and unpack them. Because emotions, like I said, are more than a tool, they're a compass. They lead you towards or away from something. Towards what's bad, away from, I mean, towards what's good, away from what's bad. Our emotions can be skewed based on our thinking. As well, they can, our perspective, if our perspective is that's a bad person and they're not, then we're gonna feel afraid of something that we shouldn't feel afraid of. You know, maybe we're afraid to love because we think we could get hurt. Well, that's a skewed perspective because yes, we could get hurt, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't love. It doesn't mean that person who we wanna reach out to and encourage is gonna reject us. It just means we feel that way. So when you get in touch with your emotions, you can start to identify those self-care activities that you know are gonna help you. And those are gonna be energizers. That you identify, well, this kind of thing in my life, when I do it consistently, it gives me energy, it's positive, it's encouraging, it's helpful. And I want you to do that right now. Think of some things, just two, should take you about 30 seconds, two things in your life that you know actually energize you, that you could do more of. And think of two things in your life that you know drain you, that you probably should be doing less of. They're discouraging. They're, they're not helpful, they're, they're bringing you down, they're beating you up, whatever. Some examples of energizers, setting goals, playing with your dog, guitar, chess, golf, reading a book, hanging out with friends, exercise, journaling, photography. You wanna schedule what energizes you and you wanna minimize what drains you. And so in transitions, a lot of times people isolate and avoid and they don't want to do those things that they know could be very helpful for them. Sometimes in transitions, you have a lot of free time and you could use that time productively to take care of yourself, to heal, to get away, whatever it might be, to give you something to recalibrate and to start heading in the right direction so you can get some clarity. Sometimes hiring a coach, during a transition season can be helpful. Hiring a counselor during a transition can be helpful as well because they can help you put the pieces together and ask you the questions that give you some clarity. One thing you can do if you know somebody going through a transition is struggling with self-care, is struggling with putting themselves 1st or kind of in this frantic, no space mode, you can encourage them just by pointing out their intrinsic qualities, saying you notice this quality in them and you appreciate it and you want them to recognize it more. That's a risk, it's being vulnerable. You can challenge them to do things that energize them. You can challenge them to do something different, challenge them to make some time for themselves. You can challenge them to maybe spend less time with toxic people and more time with healthy people. There's different ways you can do that. But the key is, is don't be afraid. If you got a friend that's struggling, you know in a transition they are very apt to push somebody away but they need the opposite and you don't violate boundaries. I'm not encouraging that, but I am encouraging you to risk being vulnerable so you can reach out because your perspective may be exactly what they need. Your perspective may be much better than theirs at this point. One of my personal energizers is to watch a TV show called Intervention. And if you don't know what this show is, Intervention is where they, it's on A&E and there's been 20, Two seasons. I don't know. There've been a lot of seasons of the show, but basically, it's a it's a show where there's an addict who is really struggling, and the addict's um, family they're just kind of they don't know what to do. So they apply for them to get on the show. Which, when they get on the show, they get offered ninety days of treatment if they accept it. So um, in a lot of episodes, it's you know substance abuse. Sometimes it's a eating disorder, sometimes it's a gambling addiction, but usually it's like a, it's like alcoholism or drug addiction. And, and there's an interventionist who's a therapist, mental health professional like me, although I'm not a trained interventionist, and they get the family together with the addict to offer them help. And this is a transition period. This is like the best example I can think of in one moment of a transition, somebody in addiction getting offered a help, help to get out. In every good intervention, all three of these components are at play. One, they're not alone. I mean, the family reads letters expressing their love and concern. The family shares their hope that they can change. Their family often draws a bottom line. They won't tolerate this behavior anymore. They can't come over on holidays. They won't support their addiction any longer. But they're expressing it in a way knowing that we want to be a part of your life and we want nothing more than you to get healthy. They're not alone. They get that They get that firm expression of not being alone. They learn to change their perspective through a good intervention because they see that all these people around them have hope for them and believe that they can actually change. And they see that there's a, an opportunity that offers hope as well to go get treatment, to go get help. And this shift, you sometimes you see it on the show, sometimes it comes out in anger because they don't want to change. It's just a really hard place. But that shift is so powerful, and it's that perspective change. And oftentimes, it's exactly what they need in that moment that gets them to accept the help. And then the third component, which is always part of a good intervention, is self-care. And they start the moment they say Yes. They start because they start to say, I'm worth it. And I love myself enough that I'm going to get some treatment here. And these feelings that I'm feeling and the negativity, I got to listen to it and I got to change. And then they learn how to cope and they learn these skills when they go away to treatment for 90 days because that's what they're doing. They're learning how to deal with their emotions. They're learning how to take care of themselves when they're getting treatment. And it's powerful. And part of each episode where I always generally tear up is after the intervention and they show the person really after 90 days of treatment, sometimes after 60 days of treatment, but they show them and they look so much better. A lot of times they've gained a lot of weight. Their coloring is better. They just look happy and because they've learned to care for themselves. They've learned to actually change their perspective. They know they're not alone. And they have a long way to go. I get it. But it's about redemption. It's about opportunity to change. A transition is about opportunity to change. It's not the end of the story. It may feel like the end of the story for you, but it's not the end of the story. Someone that's inspired me greatly is my grandfather. And he... He died when I was 15, but he was a, vet, a naval veteran. He came over to the U.S. on the Lusitania, which was a ship that was sunk by German U-boats in 1915. And when he was 39 or 40, he enlisted in the, in the Navy and was a naval officer. Um, and I was going through a really tough time about five years ago, and I had a counselor. A counselor asked me, you know, who in your life, who's somebody in your life where you really felt unconditional love? and i teared up because and i didn't even think i would think this but i thought about my grandfather his name was william land he was a, um he was born in great britain and came over when he was 9 and he he um i just felt it. i don't even know why but he just accepted me and and he was a guy as i look back and think man at 39 he he decided and to to take a big risk and to go and fight for his country and why I don't know. I, I did. I mean, I never really talked to him about the war, but, but he took an action. He took some kind of action, and and this is your chance to take action because you're going to have life transitions that come. And one thing that I didn't mention about the show intervention is before every intervention where they have the interventionist and the addict there, there's a pre-intervention, and the pre-intervention is without the addict. It's everyone preparing for that interaction that they're going to have usually the next day. This, you listening to this podcast today, this is your pre-intervention because problems are going to come. Transitions are going to come. You're going to have friends and family who need help with transitions. It's going to happen. And you, like my grandfather, have a chance to take action or you have a chance to run. It's going to take action if you're going to change. You're going to have to take action if you're going to change. So wrapping things up here, if you want to navigate successfully life transitions, Do not go it alone, and you got to find ways to be vulnerable and take risks and to help and to get out there. Work on your perspective. Intentionally change your perspective. Fight for a positive perspective and take care of yourself. Do the things you know you need to take care of your emotions, to take care of your mind, to take care of your body, to take care of yourself, and do it consistently. This, of course, as I mentioned, is podcast number 16. Love for you to check out other podcasts. I wanna refer you to a few resources. There is gonna be a link to to an article that I wrote about successfully navigating life transitions. Just a real brief article, but it's on this topic and you can use that as a guide. Um, You can also access aspects of this podcast. Well, of course, there's some video clips that we'll probably have posted on my YouTube channel at DecideYourLegacy.com as well and a challenge for you is to go ahead and go to go to decideyourlegacy.com and sign up for my newsletter and if you do you'll get 50 great relationship building questions that people find extremely helpful you also get a ebook of life balance tips And then I like to release things weekly, just very helpful, practical information, you know, just as I mentioned, that you could give to a six-year-old that they would understand that you can apply and stuff that it helps me as well. So I'll I'll release that consistently. So love to have you sign up. Love to have you tell your friends. Please subscribe to this podcast if you found it helpful, the Decide, Decide Your Legacy podcast on Apple or Spotify. Just Put in Decide Your Legacy and you can subscribe and give me a review if you found this helpful. You know, tell me, share something. Those are extremely helpful because they get the word out that there's information out there where people can find tools and resources to get help. Again, in summary, if you found one thing helpful from today, apply it. Make a decision like my grandfather did. One thing. One choice, one decision. I named the company Decide Your Legacy for a reason because decisions change lives. Make decisions out of inspiration. Whatever that inspiration was, write it down, apply it, do it today. What do you need to do? Go for it. Don't hesitate. Do it. Thanks for tuning in. Do not let other people make decisions for you. You decide your legacy. You got one life to live. You got one life to live. You decide your legacy. You decide your future. Be intentional about it. in next time thanks for tuning in today and i will see you then bye-bye this show is part of the ict podcast network